All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome to River Ridge. If you're watching online or listening online, glad you all are here as well. Um, hey, one of the things that we talk a lot about at River Ridge Church is helping people take next steps in their journey with God. And I want to let you know that a next step that you may be wanting to take is to be baptized. Uh, so on October 27th, we will have a baptism service here. Uh, and if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you have never been baptized since becoming a believer in Christ, then I would encourage you to make that decision, to make that step, and to be baptized on October the 27th. Uh, if you're interested in that, in being baptized, there's lots of ways you can let us know that. Uh, on your Connect card, you can write that and drop it in the box uh, as you leave. You can also, on the app, there's a way to, to do Connect uh, with Baptism, or you can go on the Riverridge website, riverridge.org slash baptism. But please let us know. Or if you're like, I might want to be baptized, I'm not sure what this whole thing is about, um, let us know that too, and we can walk with you and kind of share the steps and what that looks like. Uh, but it's a great step of following in the example of Jesus. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much uh, for this morning and just, uh, God, just for me personally, how awesome it was to engage with you in the worship and in communion and reflection. And God, I thank you just for that gift that that has been. And uh, guys, we look into your word this morning. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would show us specifically the things that you want us to know and understand about prayer this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so as you can tell, we are starting a new series titled Pray Like. And I want to let you know a little bit about what this series is about. This is not just going to be for four weeks. We're going to try and pray a little bit harder, pray a little bit better. Uh, but what we want to do, what this series is designed to do, is to help all of us kind of redirect what our lives will look like in terms of our prayer relationship with God into the future. And so it's not just four weeks, but we're hoping that this really sets a course for us personally and for us as a church as well. Now, I grew up occasionally going to church uh, with my parents, and the church that I went to, that we would read prayers off of like a little missalette type of thing. We'd read them in unison. Um, and then a few years after that, when I was in high school, I became a Christian. I began a relationship with God. And it was at this point that I began to learn that prayer didn't need to be something that I just read from a piece of paper, that prayer could be my heartfelt communication of what was going on in my brain, in my heart, with God. And so I learned that, and so I began to pray. Um, and so every night before I went to bed, I would pray for a little bit. However, my parents um, did not give me a curfew when I was in high school. This is not a parenting sermon. I think curfews are a good thing. I didn't have one. Um, that probably wasn't a good thing. on a lot, of night, a lot of nights, but I didn't have a curfew. Um, and so some days I would get in bed at like after midnight, we'll just call it that. Um, so I would get in bed very late, um, but I had learned prayer is important, and I was committed to praying. But I kept falling asleep when I would pray, and I would get so frustrated with myself, and I'd wake up the next morning, I'd go, well, uh, in Jesus' name, because I knew that you're supposed to end a prayer that way when I first became a Christian. So I came up with this plan so that I wouldn't fall asleep. So I'd lie in my bed at one, two in the morning to pray, and I would put my hand over my head like this, and I'd be praying, and then if I fell asleep, my hand would come down and startle me, and then I'd wake myself up, and then I would keep praying until I got to the end of my prayer time. Now, um, that was a solution to my falling asleep during prayer. Not a great solution, but it was a solution. I don't necessarily recommend that. Um, but here's what I know about just about every person I know. Just about every person that I know, Christian or not, prays 
on occasion, to some extent. Even, you know, Christians I talk to pray, but even people who aren't Christians will talk about prayer from time to time. When things get really bad, they pray. But here's the other thing that I know about prayer from conversations with people, is that just about every person that I know who's a Christian, and even maybe some that, who aren't, say something like, I want to pray better. I want to have a better prayer life. And that could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But just about everybody that I know, and yourself included, would say, I want to pray better. And your definition of better, that may be different for all of us. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want to start with a little bit of self-assessment. So if you take out your bulletin um, at the, in your outline, there is a self-assessment in there. Um, I thought I had, but I do not. Um, So there's five questions in there, and I would encourage you um, just to answer one through five on each of these. You're not going to turn this in. You're not going to pass it to your neighbor, get it great or anything, but I just want you to spend a moment self-evaluating. So if you ask yourself about consistency, how consistently do you pray? If you're saying, ah, not very well, just kind of sporadically, whenever, not very much, or if you feel like, man, I'm really faithful and consistent in prayer, then give yourself a five, give yourself a one if you're not so consistent. Next one is connectedness. So if you feel like, man, when I pray, I just feel so close to God. I feel like he's just sitting right next to me. Then that'd probably be a five. But when you pray, if you feel like, I just kind of feel like I'm praying to the air. I'm praying to nothing. I just, I don't feel like God's presence there. Then give yourself a one and then wherever you'd fall in between. Next one is Desire. The next one is desire. There we go. The next one is desire. And with this one, we're talking about, like, how much do you yearn to pray? So in other words, when you think about prayer, it's like, ah, yeah, I know I should. I got to. I guess I will. And you kind of do it out of rote obedience. That'd be kind of on the one side. Or you say, man, I look forward to praying. I set aside time to pray. I like to pray. And you have a desire to pray more. And you set aside and you kind of shape your life to pray like that. Well, the next one is boldness. How is that for you? Are you praying, you know, kind of on the one side would be, you know, God bless grandma, God bless Susie, God bless the dog, God bless the cat, would be, you know, kind of that. Or on the boldness side, you're really praying for big things, for God to come through, for God to do miracles in and around your life and around the world. And then the last one is answers. Do you see a lot of answers to prayer? If you see, I I see God answering prayer all the time, then circle on the five side. If you're like, ah, not really, I just kind of pray, nothing seems to happen, then put yourself more on the one side. So in that self-evaluation, again, you're not going to trade papers or anything like that. And and if, by the way, if you have all ones, you're probably not that bad at praying, right? And if you have all fives, you're not really Jesus, you're just overinflating yourself, okay? So just so we're clear on the uh, end of the spectrum there. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at that list and what you circled, those five things, consistency, connectedness, boldness, desire, and answers. And I want you to ask yourself the question, if I could improve in one of these over the next four weeks and over the course of my life into the future, which one would it be? Now, I know it's really tempting to go, all five, all five, don't, don't, that, that's a cop-out, right? So pick one Pick two and, and, and circle. I said, this is the one where I'd really like to grow in my prayer life over the next four weeks and into the future and be thinking along those lines. But again, just a little bit of a self-assessment as we move into this. 
Now, I'm in a men's group on uh, Thursday mornings, and a few weeks ago, we were having a discussion uh, about spiritual disciplines, and prayer was a little bit a part of it, but one of the guys in my group uh, made this analogy to business meetings that he's been a part of, and, and, he, and uh, other guys around the table were kind of nodding, so I think this is a fairly common thing, but he said, you know, sometimes we come to these business meetings, and the boss gathers us together, and things aren't going well. It could be the company's not going well, a project isn't going well, some system isn't going well, something's not going well. And the, ga- the bo- boss gathers everybody in, and basically they have a conversation, and the boss says, look, you need to try harder and do better. Try harder, do better. And he's like, try harder, do better meetings have no purpose. Like, that doesn't do any. Try harder, do better. Like, what does that mean? And then out of that, we had this conversation that sometimes when it comes to spiritual disciplines, we kind of get this sense of try harder, do better, try harder, do better. And I think that kind of falls flat. Like, what does that mean, try harder, do better? I am trying harder. I am trying to have a good prayer life. And so instead of the message for Forbes being try harder, do better, what I want us to do is we're going to look at some characters in the Bible, and we're going to look at some prayers in the Bible, And we're going to look at these and say, how does this reflect on my life? How can I take what I learned from these characters or this prayer and apply it to my life in some practical sorts of ways? And so this series, as we get into it, it's not going to be talk about prayer for four weeks and then we're going to start praying. That right from the get-go, we're going to begin to pray. And so the other insert in your... um, in your uh, bulletin this morning, has this, uh, on the front it says prayer guide. And it talks in there, on one side, on the, on the back side, it says, here's five things to pray for yourself. And then below that, it's five things to pray for the church. And so right from the get-go, I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to be praying for those 10 things. Next week, we're going to talk about, uh, kind of give out another handout, uh, if you will, to help us to be praying for our friends and our neighbors and people close to us. Uh, and then on the 27th, we're going to have a prayer, this is in the evening, Sunday the 27th at 6.30, we're going to have a prayer time where we're going to get everybody from the church together and we're going to pray and we're going to worship and we're going to really seek God for ourselves and our community and our world. And then that's going to be followed by a week of focused prayer where every morning at 6.33, I'm going to challenge everybody to be praying at 6.33 in the morning. But this morning, we're going to start with Daniel. So if you'd open up to Daniel chapter 6. And uh, Daniel is after Ezekiel and right before uh, Hosea, if you're trying to find it. If you don't know where it is, you can just look on the screen behind me. So Daniel, and we're going to start in chapter 6, but let me give you just a little bit of historical context. So prior to this, Israel had disobeyed God. And so God basically came to Israel and said, I'm going to allow the Babylonians to win a war with you, to capture you, and to take some of you as exiles, because this is part of what God is doing to form a reform Israel. And so a lot of, this is called the exile, the um, Israel exile time. And so they are a bunch of people in Babylon, and they took a lot of the people, and they especially took a lot of the good young leaders. And so they would put them through these training schools, basically, where they would learn culture, and they would learn Um, the language, and they would learn accounting, and they would learn all of these business and kind of leadership and also religious practices of the Babylonians. Well, Daniel is one of these guys. He's the author of this book and who we're going to look at this morning. And so Daniel is one of these guys, 
and he goes throughout his life and does very well in the kingdom of God. And so then there becomes a king of the Babylonians named Darius. And so what Darius does is he sets up 120 what are called satraps. They're sort of like governors or, or rulers, and they uh, rule different parts of the government, basically. 120 of those. And then he set up three high officials. And these high officials were over the 120 satraps, sort of a pyramid scheme, if you are a pyramid formation of an org chart. And Daniel was one of these. But the king looked at Daniel and said, man, Daniel is doing such an amazing job. What I want to do is I want to make him the prime minister. I want to move him up a level. And then I, as the king, Daniel does such a great job. I don't have to do anything in the kingdom. I can just go play golf and go fishing and whatever I want to do. And then Daniel runs the kingdom. It'll be easy for me. Well, Daniel's friends, I guess probably not his friends, became jealous of the king's plan. And they're like, we don't want this to happen. We don't want the king to do this. And so they got together and concocted this plan. It says this, Then the high officials, and I'm reading in verse 4, And then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for the complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of God. You see, they recognized that Daniel was faultless. In terms of a leader and the government, all that he was doing, his job performance was spectacular. They couldn't find anything against him. The only thing they could find is he still worships his God from back in Israel. He didn't kind of completely adopt the Babylonian way of thinking. He still prays to his God. And so they come up with this plan. They say, you know what? Let's go to the king, and we'll tell the king to make a law that anybody who prays or worships anybody other than the king for the next 30 days will be thrown into a den of lions, will basically receive a death sentence. And so they all gather up and they all come up with this plan, these 120 satraps and the officials, the high officials, and they go to the king. And then this is what it says in verse 9. Excuse me, verse 8. It says, Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. This is the law that says no one can pray or worship anybody but the king for 30 days. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Now, I want you, for a moment, to put yourself in Daniel's place. That for the last, and he's, he's probably about 80 right now, so probably for the last 60 years, every day he has prayed. He goes on his roof and he prays. And then the king makes an injunction that says, anybody who prays to any god or anybody other than me, Darius, will be killed in a den of lions. 30 days, you can't do anything else but worship me. If you're Daniel, what do you do in that situation? Like, here's what I think I would do. I would just continue to pray, but just go in the basement. Continue to pray and just do it quietly or walk with my eyes open so people didn't know that I was praying. You know, or maybe if you're Daniel, you say, you know what? I've been doing this for 60 years. I've been doing this for 720 months. To take a month off and not pray is not the end of the world. Like, God knows my heart. I'll just take a break. But that's not what Daniel did. 
Daniel kept doing what he had always done. This is verse 10. It says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chambers open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He went and he did what he had always done. He continued to pray to his God three times a day. And so then the satraps and the high officials, they went with their cameras and their iPhones and their video camcorders and their sketch arts, and they took pictures of him, and they took it to Darius, and they got him in trouble. They turned into little tattletales. And then this is how the king responds. Verse 14 says, Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And so Darius loves what Daniel is doing. He runs his kingdom for him really well, and so he doesn't want to stick him in the den of lions, and so he's anguishing, what should I do? What should I do? But ultimately, he decides that he needs to follow through on the decrees he has written. He can't go back on that. And he sticks Daniel in the den of lions with these words, may your God whom you continually serve deliver you. He sees in Daniel's life his faith in God. He says, man, this God that you've been praying to, I sure hope he can come through for you. So the night goes by. The king comes back the next morning. Verse 20, it says, as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. And so God rescues Daniel from the den of the lions. He shuts the mouths of the lions. God does this miracle. And, you know, we could look at this story for three weeks, I would say. It would be a great three weeks series. You know, we could spend one week talking about how do we trust God when the world is against us? How do we stand up for what God wants us to do when the world around us says, don't do it? That'd be a great sermon message. Or we could talk about the God of miracles, the fact that Daniel was in this den of lions and somehow God shut the mouth of the lions and they didn't eat him. That would be a great sermon about the miracles and power of God. But instead, what I want us to do is I want us to look at this and say, what do we learn about Daniel and his prayer life? So I want to go back and read part of verse 4 and verse 5. It says this. It says, they could find, this is the satraps and the officials, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of God. You see, what I want us to see here is that Daniel, he had this moment where he prayed in this very public way, which I think was probably the way that he did it on this rooftop all the time, right? And then he has this moment of prayer in the lion's den. Certainly he was praying there, saying, God, rescue me, God, rescue me. Shut the mouths of these kitty cats over here. God, rescue me. But what we see here is that the officials in Darius saw that prayer was not just kind of a one-time thing for Daniel. That prayer was a constant thing. And that's what I want us to see this morning is Daniel prayed on ordinary days. Daniel prayed on ordinary days. Now, when we have this prayer recorded in verse 10, he was just doing what he had always 
done. So let's talk about our prayer lives for a moment. If you want to be at that point where you are praying well, one of the things that needs to happen is that we get past just praying when things go bad. Because I think that tends to be very typical. When things are bad, then we pray. Or when we have a decision to make, we pray. I need to make this decision. God, what should I do? Should I go this way or should I go that way? God, I lost my job. Would you provide for me? Or God, my marriage is a wreck. Or God, my kids, I don't know what to do with my kids or they're gone or whatever. We pray for our kids. And we have these things when life goes rough. My mom is sick. God, I'm praying for my mom. And we look at Daniel. Daniel said, God, should I pray in front of the open window like always or should I change my plan? He prayed then. God, would you shut the mouths of the lions? And he prayed then. And we want to continue to do that, to pray when we're in this dire need. But what I want to challenge us to do is to pray like Daniel, to pray on ordinary days, to pray on everyday sort of way, on a consistent type of way. When things are good, when things are bad, that we have this continual prayer going on. You know, one of the questions I've been wrestling with this week, especially as I think about Daniel, is this question. Is does Daniel pray because he is close to God? Or is Daniel close to God because he prays? Now, which one is it? Does does he pray a lot because he has this really close relationship with God? Or does he have a close relationship with God and so he prays? And I realize it's an either-or question, but I think the answer is really yes. That Daniel prays because he's close to God, right? But he's also close to God because he prays. It's a cyclical thing that as we pray, we grow closer and closer to God. Here's the second help from prayer, with prayer from Daniel. This is in verse 10. It says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to the, his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees, prayed three times, got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You know, that was his practice. Every day he went before God, three times a day. And here's the second thing I want us to see is Daniel had a plan. Daniel had a plan. You know, if you notice the detail that's given here about Daniel, we notice a couple of things. Uh, first of all, we notice that he went to an upper room. So he had a place for his plan that was private. It was this quiet place where he could pray, away from the hustle and bustle of the city, away from his desk, away from anything else. He went to this quiet place to pray. The second thing we notice is he prayed facing Jerusalem. And I think for him that was probably symbolic because he wanted to return from Babylon with his people to Jerusalem, to God's promised land for them. So I think that was symbolic for him. That happened each time he prayed. The third thing is he got down on his knees. He had a posture that he assumed every time that he prayed. The fourth thing we notice is that he gave thanks. In every time that he prayed, he gave thanks for what he was doing. And the fifth thing that we notice is he did this three times a day. We say Daniel clearly had a plan. You know, as you think about the application of this, you know, let me tell you what, we're going to talk about the application in a second, but here's what the application is not. The application is not pray just like Daniel three times a day. 
right? The prayer, the application is not going to be just like Jesus got up early every morning to pray before everybody was, was awake, do that. Here's the application that I want us to take this morning. It's this, is I will find my plan. I will find my plan. The best thing that you can do is not pray exactly like Daniel or pray exactly like me or pray exactly like your husband or your wife or your friend or whoever. The best thing you can do is to figure out what is the way for you to pray. What does the plan look like for you in your life? Develop a prayer plan that works for you and your style. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the next four minutes and I'm going to give you 21 things uh, or 21 ideas about a prayer plan. And, uh, and so here's my prayer plan. This is what my plan looks like week to week. Is Monday through Saturday, I wake up a little bit earlier than everybody else in the house, uh, or at least before the kids. I have a place that I sit, and then I'll read the Bible for 15 or 20 minutes or so, and then I'll write down a few things that I want to pray about, and then I'll pray for those things. And then I take out my little go prayer list, go pray, go love, go invite, and I pray through the list of people that I'm praying for who are not connected to God. I pray for them each day. Um, and then each night before I fall asleep, I actually continue, I, I do that still. I don't put my arm up anymore. But, um, uh, but I actually, I start with the beginning of my day and I just go through my entire day and I just thank God for all that he's done throughout my day. And then on Sunday mornings, I wake up and I walk and I walk this circle around our neighborhood for about 15 minutes and I pray for myself and the sermon. I pray for you guys. That's, that is my prayer plan. Now, you may not have noticed it, but that was the first five out of 21 things to do. And you may need to snap a picture if you want to write these down or get these. Um, so read the Bible to guide my prayers. That's part of my prayer plan. Write down my prayers. I just write a couple of words to remind me, and then I go through and I pray for those. Make a list. I have a list of people that I am praying for who I want to see get connected to God. Fourth thing is walk and pray. And so I pray uh, as I walk around my neighbor, and I'll do that some other days as well. And then the fifth thing I, I do is I pray myself to sleep. And for me, that's a great way just to be kind of resting in God's presence as I fall asleep each night. So let me give you the next five. Pray before my feet hit the floor. Before you do anything, before you check your phone, before you get up, before you do anything else, pray before you get out of bed. Here's an acronym that might help. It's ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So in your prayer time, you just walk through each of these. You praise God, you adore God, you confess your sins, you thank God for what he's doing, supplication or asking him, you ask him for the things in your life. Next one is keep a prayer journal where you're just writing down your prayers. And I don't write my prayers out, but I know people who do that. They write them out longhand or they type them out, keeping a prayer journal. Pray the Psalms or pray the scriptures. You read the Psalms, it's a great way to pray. It's a great way just to read a psalm and to pray the same thing that the psalmist prays. Follow the Lord's Prayer is another great way to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And you can, you can just say it, or you can use those to guide you for the different parts of how you're going to pray. Eleventh one, next five, is include listening. Part of prayer is just being still, solitude before God just quietness and listening to him. Next one is have a prayer partner. Helps to have somebody who holds you accountable that you get together and you pray with once a week and pray together. Pray my hopes and fears. Part of prayer for me is just being honest with God, just 
putting it out there, whatever it is, not trying to hide anything, just say, this is what I'm afraid of. This is my hopes. These are my fears. Maybe try praying out loud. That will help you to stay focused if you pray out loud. Pause for prayer. This is, for me, one of this kind of a growing edge of I want to pause and pray when things come up. Instead of getting frustrated with life and anxiety-ridden, just whenever it comes up, just stop and pray. I'm going into a meeting. Stop and pray. Uh, Here's the next five is pray when I drive. Keep your eyes open is recommended on that one. Um, But maybe turn off the radio when you drive to the office or when you drive your kids around. Just turn off the radio and use that time for prayer. Pick a place to pray. It helps to have a consistent place. You look at that, you see that in Daniel's life. I have a couch, a part of the couch that I always pray on. Pick a time for you where you're fresh, not where you're tired, but where you're fresh, and you can really focus on the Lord. The next one is keep track of answered prayers. If you want to keep a list of what you're praying for, and then you can go back and you can see how God answers those. And then the 20th one is pray for myself. Pray for yourself. I think it's good to be praying for ourselves Pray, God, use me. God, change me. God, mold me. And I'm giving you permission not just to pray for other people, but to pray for yourself. And then number 21, everybody's favorite, hold your arm over your head if all else fails. So, you know, I've gone through this list of 21 things. Um, and, you know, here's the thing is prayer is not about a checklist. Prayer is not about a formula. Prayer is about a relationship. And I talk about a plan having a plan and talking about having a plan that works for you, that's personalized for you, because when you have that in place, it will build the relationship. The relationship that you desire to have with God, it will build that. So find your plan and build your relationship. God, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you that we had this opportunity to pray, to worship, to be before you. God, help us to grow in our connection to you through prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.